All right. Well, we are really, really excited today to have with us in the studio, Mr. Richard Stride, all the way from jolly old England uh, with me. And, you know, Richard has done um, an immense amount of work in various uh, entertainment disciplines. But, as, of course, our, our fans out there will be excited to know him as uh, doing uh, some work with um, Poggle the Lesser in Attack of the Clones and also uh, working as uh, Ewan McGregor's uh, double uh, in those movies. So we got a lot of stories we're going to get into. But um, first of all, Richard, just want to welcome you to Faking Star Wars uh, Radio Studios. Um, tell our fans, how did we get connected here today? Well, it was through that uh, wonderful thing called Twitter, um, which I've only, I have to say, only recently discovered. I went on, I think, about six years ago, and, and I think I, in that six years did one post. Um, and then um, this year, uh, during lockdown and what have you, decided to do a little bit more posting. And... Um, you suddenly came up and and uh, messaged me, and there we were. You know, connected. Yeah, the it was, Twitter it was like ver- a dating. It is almost like a dating <laughs> app. It's incredible. You know, here in the pandemic, yes. it really has brought people together. Twitter. So yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's been great the having the internet um, and you know, from an actor's point of view, because of course uh, here in the UK, everything is shut down and what have you, and nothing can. Um, and um, basically, you know, it's been a lifeline for actors because being able to do castings and all sorts of things, workshops and things like that all over the Internet and travel all around the world. So, yeah, it's been amazing. I've talked to a lot of uh, people recently, you know, this this past year who have been in similar situations where the lockdown has, you know, maybe put some things on pause, but also because of the fact that you're so limited, opened up other doors that you might not have already pursued. Yeah, very much so. I'm, I'm a big believer if you actually have um, something that, uh, you know, is an issue or a problem that comes in your way, that creative people way around that um, one way or another. Um, and, you know, they'll they'll find new things and new things to discover that they wouldn't have discovered before. Mm. That's great. That's great. Well, we are excited to get started today. And, um, you know, I know you've had a long career in the internet, in the entertainment industry. You've worked as an actor, a fight choreographer, uh, a double for, for Ewan McGregor. You, you even own a theater, uh, the Groundlings Theater in, yes. in Portsmouth. So, um, just so many That's different great. ventures. How did you get into all of this originally? Um, so way back in 93, um, I was uh, just finishing drama school and um, we were um, had an amazing uh, tutor called Mike Lodes who um, taught me sword fighting. He's probably the best in the game in the world. Um, I mean, you know, everybody knows him and how amazing he is. And um, we had to take a fight exam and the examiner saw me during that fight exam and then asked me if I wanted to get involved in a feature film called uh, First Night. And from that, I um, went and worked on that for, um, you know, a few months doing sword fighting and horse riding and all sorts of things. And then from there, I went and did other films and lots of things um, and uh, also did some theatre. But I had a passion for Shakespeare. So I decided to create my own theatre company and then I bought this run-down, burnt-out shell of a building um, which, when I started restoring, turned out to be an old lost Georgian theatre from 1784 which was just incredible. Um, uh, Basically restored it and then it's uh, operating now. I still own the theatre. I don't do so much directing there now or um, as artistic director but I've now moved back into 
doing more film, TV work and other theatre work. And um, yeah, just loved it. Just uh, did lots of different... And I love working in different uh, environments, doing lots of different things um, and uh, just uh, learning new skills all the time. So um, yeah, whatever I can learn and delve into, um, I'll, I'll jump into it and see what happens. It's amazing that you, you know, not only are you an actor yourself, but you're also helping to train and prepare other uh, students uh, through the theater, right? Yeah, I loved, I mean, I, I was, I've just been so lucky in many respects. So I always wanted to pass that on. Um, and there is a, there is an immense joy in uh, training young actors, um, particularly, and, you know, then seeing them uh, move up and ending up you know with the rsc in major uh, movies and things like that and you think oh you know i helped guide them and send them on that that path and that is just brilliant to be able to do that and fantastic to follow their careers as well so it's it's great that you know i've been given that opportunity to be able to teach and to direct and pass on you know what i've learned sounds very much like a jedi doesn't it? <laughs> it does. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I remember when I was younger yeah, and that I just sounded like a line from the, from the film. <laughs> it, it is. It is. Awesome. Everything's coming together. You know, I remember it when is. I was yeah, younger, yeah. Yeah. you know, Mark Hamill, uh, I directed him in our, our third grade production of the three little pigs. And, uh, you know, it's wonderful to see that my influence on him has also had some, uh, fruit in the star Wars universe as well. So he owes all his success to me. So we have a lot in common in Absolutely. that way. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Great. and um, you know, I, I think you know him playing the wolf as as you know he's certainly got that that sort of you know um, ability to shift in quietly into a scene, you know. And I think that you know he was he always says just how much of an influence that you had on him. Yeah, you know, it was profound, <laughs> profound. And we wouldn't be here. We wouldn't be here if if you hadn't given him that part, that little role. And um, you know, it took him a while to learn the lines of raw. <laughs> um, but uh, he got there in the end. Um, That's right. But yeah, no one actually ever told him it's not raw. You know, it's more growl. But there we go. That's right. Um, yeah. That's canon now. You know <laughs> that it's raw, not growl. So. Oh, exactly. Yeah. 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 I, I think that's what Chewie was supposed to be as well. It was supposed to be more of a growl, you know. Yeah. And it more came out of a. Right. Yeah, you know. <laughs> That's quite good. That's a quite good uh, Sherwook. Uh, have you taken our Rosetta Stone course on Sherwook? Because uh, that's that's quite accurate. I I think you're <laughs> speaking the Chewbacca uh, dialect there. Well, I used to I used to read in for characters on Star Wars, and uh, as a kid, I always did impressions and things like that. So I was uh, I think they loved me because I I would uh, well the other actors did because. Um, you know, I would do the voice of Yoda and uh, read in for the role because obviously a lot of the time, you know, the, the character isn't there. There isn't anybody there to act opposite. So I was constantly playing along with voices and, uh, you know, doing all that. It was great fun. Loved it. So I, I did C-3PO and Yoda and Chewbacca and uh, even did a bit of Alec Guinness just for a laugh. Fantastic. Um, so, yeah. So I know you were a Star Wars fan from childhood. I mean, you're talking about doing these impressions, and obviously this is something that's that's more more than just a career opportunity for you. It's it's personal to some degree, right? Um, so what what did you do when you first heard uh, that you were going to be working on Attack of the Clones? What was your first like the next thing you did after you got the news? 
I rang my mum. That was the first thing I did. I remember getting in the car and ringing my mum and just going, I'm in Star Wars. And she, I remember her saying, oh, when's the audition? And I said, I've just had it. <laughs> Literally. And um, and then I remember getting told, uh, I think by Rick McCullum, who was the producer, oh, uh, don't forget, you can't tell anyone that you're in this. And I, <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> this look of like, oh, my God. I've just told my mother. She's like Radio England. She's told everyone by now. You know? Right, right. Like, oh, okay. She started her own podcast so, um, about it, you know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, she's eighty-three, so she wouldn't. She wouldn't have know how to do it. No, no. She she just went round ringing everyone and gossiping and what have you. So um, yeah, it was a bit hard to keep quiet, really. But uh, yeah, we did our best. We did our best. It was funny because she didn't actually know what Star Wars was, so um, she kept telling people she was in this thing called Star Wars, um, but didn't actually know herself what it was at all. Brilliant. <laughs> love it. That's lovely. That's lovely. I mean, it is interesting there was so much secrecy about the prequels, even though the, the actual plot was, maybe the plot was not well known, but I was, I was amazed at how much secrecy there really was. There weren't that many leaks about the prequels. Um, how how was no, it, it like the experience working on set with that? Um, it was uh, there was a security um, and there was a lot of so the actual films weren't Star Wars even they weren't called Attack of the Clones they were everything was called Jack uh, J A K and on scripts it was just Jack films J A K um, so it doesn't mention Star Wars even um, I mean obviously it had the character names uh, J A K stands for George Lucas's uh, three children so the initials of his three kids. I remember going to, I was dressed as Obi-Wan Kenobi and going to the canteen and there wasn't really time because they wanted to do a pickup shot. Um, so it was just time enough to go and grab something to eat and come back again for filming. And I had um, four security guards who basically surrounded me uh, so I could walk from the studio to the canteen because um, there were some houses that were quite close by and they were worried that, you know, possibly someone might see me dressed as Obi-Wan Kenobi and take a photograph. That's amazing. Um, wow. So, yeah, everyone was was told, please don't talk about this. Don't talk to anyone that you're on it or you have anything to do with it, etc. Um, and I people really respected that and they they did um and they knew that ruin it would ruin stuff for the fans and it would you know they the fans care about it and actually uh, it's like a double-edged sword isn't it you know the fans desperately want to find out what's going to be in the film but at the same time they don't want to know um or it's better for them if they don't know I found so, yeah. that when I was just a fan at that point, you know, I was really uh, bummed out that I, I was so involved in finding leaks because I, I ruined the Yoda fighting scene with Christopher Lee. Like, uh, that scene leaked online before the movie came out, and, you know, just by itself, it, it's sort of ridiculous looking, you know. I mean, this green frog hopping all over the place, and it just, you know, when that scene uh, happened in the movie, I'd already seen most of it, and it, it just uh, kind of destroyed the that moment where, where Yoda goes to town. I guess yeah I mean it was I, I used to get so we used to get we didn't ever get the whole script we would only get the the scene that we were working on that day um, and you would you get the script and they would you know sometimes they would ask for it back at the end of the day so you can go and print it somewhere or what have you and you would get rewrites as well so you would get um, little things that would suddenly change like 15 minutes before you're about to shoot it um, it'd be minor little things but um, I remember one line changing and it, it it was uh, I was playing a clone trooper in Attack of the Clones, and uh, I look back, 
they were out of rockets. What the line is now, we're out of rockets, sir. Um, and actually, the line was originally, we're out of ordnance, sir. And I remember looking at it, thinking, I don't know what ordnance means. What's right, it's a little bit of a two uh, the twenty cent word, I guess, for fans. So they wanted to yeah. simplify it a little bit. Uh, that makes sense, huh? Yeah, and it, it was changed, you know, um, and that. So. You know, stuff was was I suppose in some ways was was done like that to to keep a secret or to try and minimise the the possibility of stuff getting out and ruining it for everyone, um, because you want those surprise in the cinema and people not to know. You know, I mean, I knew about the Death Star appearing in it, and uh, that that was a bit hard to try and keep that going. Yes, I know the Death Star's in it. You know, the plans are there. And what have you, and we get to see you know, a hologram of it. So, um, and that bit of the story. But you know, I I just decided I wasn't going to tell anyone anything. You know, um, and so I didn't. Yeah. You know. Hopefully, you don't have like a. She had no clue what I was talking about. Hopefully, you don't have like a legion of desperate, uh, obsessed fans for friends who won't stop bugging you uh, over drinks or whatever. You know, try to get you drunk to <laughs> to the point that you start spilling the beans. I guess, but. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, a lot of people didn't even know I was in it. So, you know, a lot, a lot of people, I just said, oh, I'm working on this film called Jack. Um, and that was it. I didn't didn't actually tell them that I was going to be doing Star Wars. And it was really until just, uh, I think, about a couple of weeks before the premiere that I actually even said to people, oh, by the way, I'm in this. Oh. What? What? And I said, well, you remember that time when I was doing that film called Jack? I said, well this is jack this is it yeah um, i fooled you i faked you out you know so you have a natural home uh-huh. here of faking star wars so yeah natural yeah, deceiver yeah, well, so <laughs> now you were talking about that scene in attack of the clones i believe it is with poggle the lesser and christopher lee where they're smuggling hmm. out the plans to the uncreated death star um now if i'm not mistaken there's a funny story uh, on set involving you who play uh, uh, who played Poggle the Lesser in that scene, right? As the mocap, is that correct? And then uh, Count Dooku, played by Christopher Lee, and an air freshener. Would you, <laughs> would you tell us that yeah. story? Yeah. Well, it was it was a funny day. So basically, uh, if you can try and picture the, the the scene, as it were, in 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 real life, I mean, what you see on the movie is you see this great big massive round sort of table with this battle, uh, holographic battle taking place. You've got the um, uh, two of the trade federation on the other side of the table i take the as poggle take the death star plans out of this big computer thing um and uh then walk around the table and hand it to christopher lee that's what you see but actually in reality what was there in the studio was absolutely zilch nothing so um <laughs> the table, um it's just a big green space um with green carpet and you have uh, green, slightly different coloured tape uh, of green on green carpet to tell you where the table is so that you don't walk through the table. Don't walk through it or like get then, stuck in it. Um, <laughs> yeah, so then uh, added to that, because this is a wide shot, you've also got the animatronics that, that deal with the Trade Federation because they've got like a, that's a suit, that's not CGI, that's an actual suit that they wear. But they've got wires that basically... Um, go across where the table was and, and right across the studio and these controllers you know basically change their facial expressions their mouths their cheekbones their eyes and eyebrows and everything else um, and they basically move all of that face um, to make it look real 
Um, but you've got quite a few of these people operating one of these faces um, of the Trade Federation. So if it, imagine I, I've got to walk around, but I've got to make sure I don't step on any of these cables because if I step on a cable, then the Trade Federation sort of go into spasm. You know? <laughs> it's um, like having a seizure, a grand mal seizure or something. <laughs> yeah, sort of a seizure across the other side of the... the, the the table so i've got to be really careful with this and then holding this the death star and then walking up to christopher lee and you know bring this line uh which i delivered in english um for him so that he knew, there's no point going up to him going like that because otherwise he has no clue when i'm going to stop and when i'm going to He's not what fluent in Geonosian. He didn't study that dialect for, for his preparation. I thought no, he was a method actor. Enough, no, no. no. <laughs> <laughs> Digressing, I did actually have a Star Wars fan that once spoke Geonosian to me, and I had no clue what they were talking about. Anyway, um, go off track. But uh, basically, so I, I had to, to walk around, and, you know, it's, it's Christopher Lee, so you're a little bit like, oh, my God, you were Dracula. Um, yeah. So there's a little bit of reverence. And uh, but while we were setting up shots and practicing endlessly for this this scene, which uh, looks really simple on camera, but actually was really complicated, um, uh, I just happened to look down at this uh, piece, sort of plastic, disky type thing, um, which had a little red light in it and a little sort of screwy thing on the top. And I said to we talk Christopher Lee, well, lining up for shots. So it's amazing. And I said, you know someone's actually designed this they've they've you know made a mold they've got you know plastic that they've then created it with and the, they put the light in it and i said you know so much effort for a little tiny prop like this is incredible and the prop guy started laughing and i said well, what's so funny what have i said and he said oh right he said uh yeah yesterday we forgot all about the death star plans and forgot to make them he said so uh, <laughs> we ran into halfords and it's actually a car air freshener for a quid um, oh, that's brilliant. We got, we got to another rehearsal, and um, instead of saying the Jedi must not find out our plans for the ultimate weapon, otherwise they're doomed, I just came out with, there we go, sire, something to freshen the whole galaxy with. <laughs> and um, that was it. Christopher Lee had literally, um, I'm sure he had a little wee. He was absolutely wetting himself laughing. Oh, it's amazing. Um, so the whole afternoon we spent laughing about uh, freshening up the galaxy with um, a car air freshener, as you do. Who knew so, that yeah. the uh, deadly mendacious Death Star really had its origins in a uh, a Glade plug-in from the dollar store? Well, I'm convinced that actually, you know, in A New Hope, when they fire that laser at Alderaan, really what they're doing is they're just giving it a little spray. That's it. <laughs> they're and misunderstood. Really they, it was aromatherapy. <laughs> it's aromatherapy. It was to calm them down a bit yeah, yeah you know but there was this whole conspiracy theory going on saying they blew them up and all they did is just freshen up the atmosphere oh that's brilliant so, yeah so what was it like wearing the uh, poggle the lesser costume you know was it tight uh were the wings something that you got to control very well and fly around uh you know lucas uh, film studios and and uh you know land on people and do all kinds of tricks and pranks or uh did you get to keep the costume no <laughs> there was no costume it was it was literally like a little green suit basically right uh so yeah a bit tight um you, you'd sometimes find you're wearing a green sock 
right um on your arm you know a green sort of glove type thing um did you have a good sense of what the character was going to look like i mean it was in development i know with these movies sometimes they don't even have any idea at all what this digital character is going to be so how did that work out for you i mean playing a character that you can't see you we we got shown like a um I mean, I suppose it was almost like a, a sort of a computer game version style, you know, rough idea of what things would look like. And we were quite often played that so that we could see what the environment was around us. I mean, they didn't always do it, but I mean, there were times when, you know, you were jumping off something and thinking, I have no clue where I am. Right. You know, but in some ways, sometimes you didn't need to know. You, you just didn't. You just need to jump off this box and basically run forward. Uh, with your gun and point it and that's it you know and you'd make something up in your head you know just to give you a bit of motivation etc but it wasn't really sort of necessary to, to hmm. go into depth of well, what's the planet environment about you know yeah. um, because they do all that magic later on and they'll they'll make it work you know it's amazing you know they'll even put if it's supposed to be hot they'll put they'll put sweat on you later on digitally if need be you know um, but uh, yeah, so I mean, you just have to. I think the most important thing is trust your director. Absolutely, and that's one thing I've learned is you being a director as well as being an actor is is just completely trust the director and um, put all your faith and everything in into them and that they're going to make it as best they can because that's what they're there for is to try and make it mm. as 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 good as they possibly can. And every actor, every you know grip every uh focus puller every prop guy costume person is there for one reason and one reason only and it is to make that as good as it possibly can be mm -hmm. they're not necessarily there for the money that's um yeah that's never seen that happen. it's amazing people like think that. that everyone that works in movies is like a multi multi-millionaire there's actually only a small percentage of people that work on movies who are filthy rich right i mean the top names like i'm sure that uh natalie portman had a pretty good contract going for star wars by the end of it and ewan mcgregor uh but you know they're they're also people that are just making minimum wage probably on these films i imagine oh gosh yeah yeah i mean equity was um, union for actors um, I know about 10 years ago, they said that the average wage, the average wage of an actor is about, you know, £4,000, which hmm. is probably about, you know, $5,500 a year. I mean, it's, that yeah. is, you know, and you think a nurse will take home 24000 or you know, a year, or somebody who works in a bank will take home 18000 a year. I mean, that's, that's, um, it's just incredible, low wages. Um, hmm you know, for people who work in that kind of thing um, or that kind of industry, etc. So, yeah. Um, That's something I can't relate to here on the podcast because they, they started me off with a 10-figure contract just from the word go as the host of Faking Star Wars, but I always like to try to pay it forward. Mm -hmm. I, You know, I'm, I'm a part of a, yeah. a podcast network. I, I support many other people with uh, these massive salaries because I do want to see that equity, uh, you know, come back around for everybody, so... And you're worth every penny. I think so. Yeah, I I think I should yeah. go up to eleven or twelve figures. Elon Musk yeah. has nothing on me, in my opinion. So, um, but so so talk a little bit about the experience. I mean, our fans may not know exactly how this casting works. You get cast 
or or you get the part as Obi-Wan's body double, but then you end up playing clone troopers, you end up playing Poggle the Lesser. How, how does that work? You just show up on set, and they're like, hey, you know what? We can use you for these other roles. Do you want some extra money? Or I mean, how, how does it all play out like that? Um, <laughs> how does it all play out? Uh, well, I love what I do. I absolutely love it. And I also, I just have such a keen fascination of learning. So when I'm on set, what I tend not to do is to go back to the green room so much. If I can, I, I'll sit on the side of the set if that's appropriate and it's okay to do so. Not that I want to get in anyone's way or anything. Because I love watching and I love watching what other people do. And I love watching, you know, and finding out what this person's job is and, you know, etc. And as long as you're not a nuisance to people, I just love watching and observing and go, oh, that's why they do that. That's how they get that done. Hmm. Well, that's how they do that. Because I find it all very useful and very, you know, educational. So um, I never saw the green room uh, while working on both the Star Wars movies. Um, I sat on the side of the set the whole time. And you find yourself getting asked, oh, would you mind just um, reading this part? Yeah, that's fine. You know, um, would you mind just doing this? Next thing I know, I'm, I'm playing clone troopers. I, I've even played a female sort of C-3PO at one point. <laughs> uh, don't wow. ask me the name. BA-8000 or something? Somebody will know that. out there, you know, they'll have the Wikipedia oh, entry and the backstory on this character. <clears throat> yeah, someone actually sent me a picture once to sign it. I thought, that's some strange female droid, you know. <laughs> I had breasts and everything. Um you didn't know and, you were uh, a robotic transgendered uh, a no, droid, did you? No. Um, I want to fit it in the suit anyway. Um, but no, they just motion capture, captured me. I was walking up the um, staircase to the opera. Um, and um, and it was funny enough, it was the other double, the double for um, um, Anakin Skywalker, who told me and said, oh, by the way, you're a, a female droid. <laughs> really? Oh, okay. <laughs> He drew the short That's straw or the can. long straw? Or? I did, yeah, clearly. Yeah, obviously that wiggle, obviously, you know, that I have just clearly just said it. Um, so, um, yeah, and I I mean, I even, I remember one day I, I, I got really excited because I got to press the button on the studio, which basically made the light go on that said no entry. Um, you know, when they started calling out, quiet, please, roll camera and everything else. And I got to press this big red button that was great you know. <laughs> very cool so i just enjoyed all of it really hmm. it seems like you have an attitude of just uh making the most of of any uh situation on set and so i imagine you got to know some of the other like actors that fans may be familiar with from the films or or you know you mentioned richard Mc, uh, rick mccollum earlier who's a producer of these uh, prequels and you were on set with with george lucas now i know he kind of hid behind a, a plexiglass fortress sipping his coffee sitting in a chaise lounge directing most of these movies so maybe you didn't interact with him as much but what other what kind of stories do you have about uh working on set with some people that that uh you know our fans might be interested to hear little anecdotes or secrets that you can tell that are not too personal (laughs) so i think that actually um again there's a misconception sometimes so um it you are sort of slightly cocooned in your own world Quite often you're working 12-hour days. It's like a little family. And that whole idea of people being pretty or somehow being treated differently completely goes out the window. It's like everybody is on the same level. You can't do your job as an actor if you're a, a Hollywood star that's won zillions of Oscars and everything else if the cameraman doesn't roll the camera. It's as simple as that. 
if you know the grip doesn't do their job then it's just not going to work you're not going to get the shots that you need and you're not going to look good so there is this uh idea sometimes that people can be a bit starry and a bit demanding and a and I think sometimes it's movies itself that actually portray actors of being demanding and and completely um, you know ridiculous and everything else. I don't have a bowl um, of blue M and M's in my in my dressing yeah, room. I can't yeah. shoot this scene yet. <laughs> I heard that. I mean, it's interesting you saying George Lucas was sat behind a perspex sort of glass box. Um, as far as I remember, he was never sat behind a perspex box. Um, he was on set. He was there all the time. Um, he was, you know, quite often sat behind the monitors because that's the job. That's what directors do. They they sit behind the monitors and they they look up because actually what's important is not what you're seeing, um, you know, from 20 feet away like you would in a theatre. What's important is going on that screen. And so you need to be really close. And the only way you can get that is by sitting in front of a monitor. Um, Absolutely. So, you know, they would they would they would sit behind the monitors. But there were times when he would come up and he would talk to us, you know, and he would... Yeah, particularly if he wanted to uh, something that you he needed you to do um and it needed some more in-depth explaining than just raise your arm up a little bit further or etc he would come over and he would talk to you and he would tell you exactly what you're doing or he would get you across and say you know this is the scene um that we're doing um this is what it's going to look like which was very helpful and he would say oh this is what i want to see on the screen which again is really helpful so you know i found i found i think again if you trust your director coming back to that key right trust the people around you 100 percent, and they won't let you down they just they don't seem to they just you know we always say in england it's such a shame isn't it that um you've got the pandemic and everything what they should have done is they should have put people who run film studios in charge of organizing the pandemic and the vaccine rollout the response and the country, because they would have got it done <laughs> right right you, you know you need a crewman there and they would have sorted that out they don't away. mess around right on film sets time is money and there's no faff about it or complaining they just got the job done and sorted you know that's what they needed to do so <laughs> There you go. But yeah, no, everyone was lovely. It was, uh, you know, from the knit nurse to uh, one of the the assistants of the assistants of the assistants, right up to um, talking to people like Auntie Daniels and uh, Samuel Jackson and uh, uh, Ian McDermott and, uh, you know, everybody from Hayden to Natalie Portman to, you know, even to Ewan McGregor as well. So everyone was just, uh, you know, lovely. I know that Great. actors have a special relationship usually with their body double. I mean, it's sort of an unusual, an unusual uh, relationship, and and some actors really rely on their body double for for all the stunts and you know anything that might possibly they might not be able to do or for whatever reason or you know whereas I've heard like Adam Driver for example, he wanted to do everything himself, right? I mean, a hundred percent. Of course, that's not always possible because they might need to pick up shots where the actor might not be available, so you have a body double for that as well. Um, what was it like working with with Ewan McGregor uh, and being his double or his clone, as it were? I guess. <laughs> yeah, it's good. We got and um, we got on very well. And um, also, it was quite nice because I doubled for him after Star Wars for a couple of other projects as well. So it was nice that you know he knew me by name and he remembered me and else. And, and certainly when we got to Episode Three, I remember the first day and um, of Episode Three and 
he was like Richard yeah. I was like, oh, okay <laughs> um, so you know he, tr- he treated everyone you know with great respect and I say it's just like a little family I mean there, mm-hmm. yeah there's over a hundred people working on the movie and, and then even beyond that studio there are thousands tens of thousands of people that work on it that we, de- we didn't even get to see but certainly within that little uh, I say little but you know there's a hundred people working on the set and what have you know people were generally lovely and you you don't get in anywhere in this world unless you're nice people won't work with you it's as simple as that if you're not a nice person and you're not full of other people around you you're just not gonna make it well you might make it but you might disappear quite quickly that explains it, it. You know, I for a long time I've been wondering why I haven't been invited to direct the next Star Wars film, and I I, I finally you know, this well, may figure it out. Is that you know all of the insults and all of the the rage yeah. and everything I've levied against uh, you know people in the industry that may have something to do with it. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, I think when you parked your car in the director's spot, might have had a little bit of something <laughs> to do with it. But you know, um, I was confused. I thought it meant director of fakery, <laughs> so. Well, I have to ask well, this, yeah. you know, Richard, this this is a, a burning question I think our fans are going to be wondering now uh, that are super obsessed with the new stuff coming out on Disney Plus and the, the Obi-Wan show. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't know if you can say anything, you know, has there been any speculation about you being involved again as working with Ewan on that as a body double or in any other capacity? Well, I wrote to them and said, you know, I'd, I'd be lost on the windscreen, if you like. Um um of the millennium falcon or whatever it is you need me to do but um no they said um they said they, they've had enough of me from the two other films um and uh they really didn't want to work with me ever again um <laughs> no um <laughs> being banned from the u.s right right no, uh i've i've written to the it's an it's a to a certain degree it's a new team and it's a new bunch of people sure um but i would i'd love to be back involved and you know, doing something and um, what have you. So, so the door hasn't closed, but you're you can't confirm anything either. So, great, great. No, I haven't been I haven't been asked. I haven't had an audition for it yet. So, um, hmm. maybe someone's out there listening. They might give me an audition. You never know. What exciting times for actors who have been in Star Wars. You know, and it seemed like with the uh, with the prequels, it was all over. And you know, you you're not going to get any other chance maybe to work in it. But then the sequels came out, and now we've got this just deluge of new content coming out on on streaming with Disney Plus. So many new shows. Um, what project in this way are, are you most excited for as a fan, or or that you would like to be most involved with if you had the chance? I would. I quite like the idea of Kenobi. Um. I tell you why my my big idol is Alec Guinness. Um, love him to death. Um, absolutely amazing, amazing actor. I remember watching films with him in and not realizing that he was in it. He was that good at playing characters that you wouldn't even recognize him. Um, and just a phenomenal actor. Really was a phenomenal actor. And. I, you know, as a kid, I loved Obi-Wan Kenobi. Strangely enough, I ended up getting to sort of play him in a way. Um, but it was always my ideal. I thought, oh, if they ever go and make a, another Star Wars movie, but back in the past and a young Kenobi. Oh, wouldn't it be great to play it? Um, and uh, yeah, you know, that was, I think I've, 
I think I've got a lot of connection, I suppose, to that character and, and what he does and what he stands for. And I think there's a lot more in there as well. Character development and everything else that, you know, can be expanded on even more. Great. Great. Well, I do hope, you know, that we can see more of, of Richard in Star Wars uh, in the coming years. I, I think that there's a, you know, there Star Wars uh, in general has a lot of love for people that have been in, in uh, pre-production, you know, other productions. So uh, it seems like you always get another turn. Like um, they're very loyal. You know, once you're in the family, you're always kind of in the family, I guess. Yeah. And it is, it is just like it was, when I go and do comic cons as well, you know, you meet people and um, it is... It does feel like you may not have met them on set or anything. And, um, and uh, you know, you just, oh, you know so-and-so. And, and it does feel like uh, you, you've known them for a while. I remember once doing one Comic-Con and um, this chap, I said, oh, you know, what did you do? And he, he said, oh, it was an episode one, two, and three. I said, oh, brilliant. And I said, I, thought, I don't recognize him, but, you know, that's... I said, who did you play? And he said, I was, uh, I was one of the Trade Federation I went, oh my God, <laughs> we were in the same scene. <laughs> yeah, said, like a mask on though. You... Right. And you, were, you were a mask. And, you know, they, they couldn't take all that stuff off for lunch. It takes hours to get it on, right? Down, yeah, to them, you know, and tubes and things like this and what have you. So I never got to, you know, I sat opposite him in the lunch canteen. We were roommates for six months. What What's going on? <laughs> yeah, never saw his face. Incredible. So, I mean, it's funny, you know, I once was in um, a film with Merritt McCormack and Minnie Driver for quite some time. It was called High Heels and Low Lives. And I played um, Peter, um, who was a tramp. And um, I had the same Winnebago as them and... Uh, would have makeup, but I had five hours of makeup to make me look like a tramp with a big beard and what have you, and the hairpiece and that. And so I was always in makeup way before them, and I would leave way after as well because it would take so long to take it all off. And um, uh, we got to the rap party, and uh, Mary McCormack came up to me, and, and uh, we were dancing together because the rap party was in the club. Uh, she said, "Oh, are you here with anyone?" And I said, "Well, no." I said, "Um, I said I, I was working on the film." Oh, she said, uh, "What did you do?" And I said, <laughs> "Well, I was Peter, the tramp." <laughs> and she was like, "Oh my god! Oh my god! It's Peter! I didn't recognise it." And you know, we'd been working literally months on this thing, and I'd sat and had conversations with them. That's you know, amazing. For hours on end in, uh, when he. Bago and and we've been sat next to each other no not a clue she didn't know who i was in some way it must be a compliment <laughs> so, you know that you were so convincing in the role that when you weren't acting that they couldn't even trapper. detect you know that 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 was the same person but at the other end it's sort yeah. of like can we all just not have a sit down first so we know who we are you know as we're working together <laughs> mm. but i know that's not possible i mean just the the time on set is so valuable they have to move from one one oh, thing no, to no, the yeah, next yeah. so often you don't get ever get a rehearsal time i remember one day we were filming in a park in london it was night time and um uh i just got into all the costume and everything else and it was uh because it was night time but it was dinner time if that makes sense so we sort of arrived on set five hours later it was dinner time so i went to you know the the truck where they had all the lovely food and everything else 
going along the buffet and that. And uh, these two security guards came up and marched me off set uh, because they thought I generally was a tramp. And I was going, no, I'm an actor. And they go, yeah, right, yeah, right. <laughs> they threw me off the set. I had to, to get my mobile phone and ring up and go, can someone let me in? Please let me in. a minute. <laughs> <laughs> and wow. got thrown off set, you know. It's amazing. Why are you late? Well, thrown out. <laughs> wow. So, so thinking about uh, just overall your work um, on Star Wars and and in general in cinema, um, what what uh, what would you say to an aspiring actor or a Star Wars fan who's a creative type who's out there trying to get it get ahead, or maybe a mediocre podcaster, for example, who wants to, to get a little bit in the notice, you know, in the creative world? What advice do you have for creative people in this time of of uncertainty and change? Okay, so I think that the first question you should ask yourself can you um can you live without acting can you live without doing this job and if the answer is yes this is not for you you've Mm -hmm. got to have a passion that is it's like oxygen you can't imagine doing anything else um that's the first thing the second is is um and this is it's what i say to a lot of my students is um i think it was about 10 years ago some scientists did um, a study um, where they looked at various violin players, someone who just started, someone who'd, you know, violin teacher, very competent, um, someone else who was, um, you know, in an orchestra, and then somebody else who was like the top of the world's best violinist. Like a virtuoso. And they wanted, yeah, and they wanted to identify what what was it that, gave you talent what was it that made that person famous so they did experiments on you know is it genetics is it this is it that and what have you and they came to the conclusion that all these studies over years etc that talent does not exist you are not given by him upstairs and the clouds etc a gift or anything else it's all how hard you work at it Mm -hmm. so how many hours are you prepared to put in so the person who was the world famous violinist, a astonishing amount of hours in. The person who was a teacher, um, but a good violinist, had put much less in. So it's all about how many hours you are prepared to put into it, um, hmm. etc. Now some people say, "Well, oh, I know so and so, and they, you know, they they had a natural talent. They'd never been on a stage, and they seemed to be brilliant." And I had a student who was just like that. And someone brought that up. Well, what about this chap called Archie um, Porter? Because he was amazing, you know, Sure. in his first play. And you gave him the lead role. You gave him Mowgli in Jungle Book. And I said, yes. I said, but if you look at his family life, he comes from a big family in a big house. And I said, and they very creative. I said, you know, um, they, they put on like little plays for each other, dramas. They're always playing. And, right. you know, the... the Particularly, you know, his mother was very keen on socializing and, and, you know, so they were constantly talking and playing and reading and doing all those things. And all those things are basically the skills you think. So he'd, he had already through life had something, if you like, um, sort of got it by proxy in a way. It wasn't intentional practice, but it still was practice. 
Right. Well, that makes sense. So I mean, for skills. me, as you know, growing up, I I always made fun of uh, everybody's uh, yeah, you know, hobbies and things that they liked, and and uh, that's why everybody hated me. So I was a natural fit to be a uh, a Star Wars, uh, sa- you know, sat- satirical um, parody co- a podcaster. So I guess I guess that whole thing about practice makes perfect really is true. Yeah, and I learned. I mean, I watched Star Wars oh endless times. I mean, hundreds of times, hundreds of times, literally, um, and. I learned a lot from from watching those actors on the screen so many times and looking at every little tiny thing that they did with their eyes with their you know gesture and I would ask mm. questions why are they using their hand at that point what why are they turning away why are they looking in that direction so and then I'd try and find out the answer what did that create how did they do that? How did they make that work? What does the music add to that scene? You know, what's the camera angle? What does that, why does that work? What's the lighting work? You know, and you ask all these questions over and over again and you would, I would imitate them as well. I would imitate gestures and things and try and learn off, you know, these actors. Um, and I remember using uh, a gesture that Harrison Ford had used in Return of the Jedi and using that in a checkoff play. <laughs> really? Tell us yeah. about that. What, what was that gesture? Um, it's a bit where uh, Princess Leia turns to him and says, he's my brother, as in Luke Skywalker. And they're on Endor. And he looks away and he looks back at her and he almost laughs. And I right. think he looks away again and looks back at her again. And he goes, your brother? And I use that look away and the, and the sudden grin and the realisation of what she's just said. And you could see his... He is working out. There's that whole little story that goes in his head that flashes across his eyes and his face of, what? Hang on a minute. Oh, hang on. You're not in love with him, but you're in love with him, but in a different way as a brother, you know. Um, oh, that means you're in love with me. Oh, great. Right. So it, it's sort of that realization where there is no dialogue, but it, it says it all across his face. And that is what I used in a, a Chekhov play. Wow. Seagull, wow. Enough. I like to call that the, yeah. the, the bedroom light bulb scene for Han Solo, you know, where he realizes, oh my gosh, this is yeah. going to happen. You know, she's mine. So, <laughs> yeah. So great. Well, yeah, I could you can, you can learn a lot from watching. Yeah. Imitation is, is, you know, the greatest form of flattery, but it's also a great way to, to learn things. And, and I as well, I mean, I like to dabble in voice work uh, and, and imitation and accents as well. I know you, you're a very skilled dialectician um, and, and that is all about imitation. And, and, and so there's, there's a lot of uh, creative applications to that sort of um, endeavor. We know, Richard, it has been an absolute pleasure uh, to have you with us today. I just want to ask, you know, first, is there, are there any coming up projects that you have going on uh, that you'd like our fans to know about out there, things that you're doing on your, um, I know on your Twitter, you're at stride underscore Richard. You have a YouTube channel and your website, richardstride.co.uk. Um, you know, how can fans find some of your projects that you're doing? Uh, you have a Facebook page as well, I think. Um, what, what are you most excited about here in the next few weeks or months to, to tell our fans about? Um, well, I'm certainly excited that things are starting to open up. Okay. I'm getting a lot of, um, starting to get a lot of interviews with casting directors, which is phenomenal and brilliant, not only just in the UK, but of course over in America as well. Um, Zoom has become my best friend, which is really great. I've got a film that's coming out 
this year that I was in that I filmed, funny enough, about a year and a half ago. It's been delayed, obviously, because of the pandemic. Sure. And that's called Falkland Square, um, which is about, um, it's a beautiful film, but it's um, about a, um, a veteran who was in the Falkland War with Argentina and uh, has come back to the UK and has fallen on very hard times, become homeless, etc. And I play a very nasty bailiff, hmm. basically, or from person from the council who basically evicts him from his caravan. But I have a really good scene um, with the lead actor in that. Sounds like an interesting and, uh, film. That's an interesting period in history that we don't get to see on screen very yeah. often. So that'll be that'll be an interesting no, movie. No. It's, and it's it's great because it it talks about how we treat veterans and their mental health and everything else. It brings that. Uh, and homelessness and what have you so it all brings all that together which is lovely so i'm very excited about that um i've been doing some other uh projects i've got filming in uh not next week but the week after um uh, which is a, a film called binds which is actually a play uh the lead role who um uh gets kidnapped and uh it's mainly about him and uh this other chap who both hostage wow uh, a very interesting project so got that coming up and then um uh yeah uh, we'll see what happens you never know wonderful wonderful we uh, wait for off to a galaxy far far away or might be doing something else who knows yeah so. it sounds it sounds like you're keeping busy though and then that's great especially during these uh tumultuous times so uh, we encourage our fans to follow you on twitter that's stride underscore richard right that's the best place fans can kind of get your daily updates and whatnot yeah get daily updates from there um i also do little sort of um stuff you know if you want to be an actor and what have you i always give like little two minute little bits of advice and what have you so it's great for that and also my youtube channel and i have a website as well which is uh www.richardstride.co.uk so it's a nice easy one and yeah there's loads of stuff on there as well wonderful and we'll make sure so, to yeah. get these links in the article when we post the uh, episode and all that for you as well of course but um uh yeah, really appreciate your time today, Richard. Uh, thanks for coming into the studio, uh, you know, uh, uh, coming come across the pond for us and uh, being with us here in Topeka, Kansas. We really appreciate your time, and you're welcome uh, back anytime. We'd love to have you on and talk Star Wars and your work in, oh, in the yeah, cinema industry. So, Oh, it'd be lovely. It'd be really good. <laughs> And unfortunately, that's all we have time for. I'd like to thank my guest, Richard Stride, for being here. And you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Faking Star Wars and on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Real Faking Star Wars. Go ahead and submit a question for us on Twitter. Please use the hashtag FSW Radio and we'll read it on the next episode. You can also get some of our fantastic and hilarious Faking Star Wars t-shirts and other gear like coffee mugs and pillowcases and COVID-19 masks at bit.ly slash FSW Merch. If you'd like, you can go ahead and follow me on Twitter as well at Storm Duper or our other co-hosts at Vegan the Hut and at Teeb Ron Tour. Go ahead and follow FSW Radio on Twitter and Instagram too. We want to hear from you and we want your support. So please visit www.patreon.com slash fakingstarwars and sign up to be one of our loyal patrons. You get a free gift when you join, and you'll also support us fakers financially to keep making this great content that you love. You'll get a fantastic reward just for as little as a buck a month. I'd like to thank our patrons, Fake Jedi Padawan Stephen Howard, Rick Swift, The Mediacratics, Darth Taxis, and Keith Harmon, and they support us at the Fake Jedi Knight level. 
A big shout out to 97 Bravo, who is a new supporter at the Fake Jedi Sentinel level, too. If you haven't written us a review, please consider giving us a five star review on iTunes, Podchaser, or whatever podcast platform you use. It really helps us appear when people search for Star Wars on their podcast app. By writing a funny review, you'll get your review on the podcast. We read all funny reviews. One more thing before we go, we'd like to invite you to join the FSW Discord server. It's a free online chat room full of fakers discussing Star Wars, nerd culture, and we play some games together. The link is bit.ly slash FSW Discord. Please put FSW all in caps. And as always, keep it tuned to FakingStarWars.net for a quality Star Wars comedy, parody, and satire. And thanks to you and all of our followers for listening. May the foe be with you. See you soon. Mm-hmm.